The following program is recommended for ages 18 and over due to adult content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Behind the Scenes, a look at some of the sometimes steamy inside of Hollywood with your host, Hollywood executive and former Victoria's Secret model, Summer Helene. Our program features the gossip, the dish, and the stories of what's really going on behind your favorite movies, television shows, and celebrities from the people who are involved in the industry. Now, here is your host, Summer Helene. Do you have a desire to be famous? Do you want hordes of people screaming your name? Then ask your therapist if Hollywood's right for you. Hollywood, where you can work your entire first year as an unpaid intern, followed by mandatory minimum 18-hour workday with guaranteed overpay, uh, unpaid overtime. I, I'm trying to get through this, and I'm, like, laughing in the background because I'm like, we all did it. We all did all of this. And it goes into, you know, where sexual assault is so common. You get to sign a waiver promising not to sue. Even and before you start your new even job. Even before you start your new job. That's and all, it. And all the wonderful side effects that come along with this fantastic life of ours. I know, it's really weird, but I wouldn't trade it. I do love it. G'day, guys. Welcome to the show. I'm Summer Helene. We are on with my co-host, Bear Fjorda, talking about all things Hollywood. And today there is an odd crossroads in Hollywood between uh, my my uh, home country and and the monarchy and America. Yeah. So, so there's yeah, a bit really of a, a party. I know. It's like the... Uh, Except so, no one's getting, you know, no one's getting off. You get a timeout. You you get a timeout. So we are talking about all things Hollywood today, and believe it or not, By for the way, I do want to say real quick. So sorry to interrupt. That I said it earlier that working our jobs like it's a curse. Like someone forced upon us, like you are going to work in Hollywood now. Ha ha. No, I, we chose to be here. We chose to be in entertainment, <laughs> and it just also happens to be difficult. Like very much first world dilemmas. I work behind the scenes. I work in front of the cameras, behind the cameras. I'm famous. I'm uh, big in my industry. My my apologies. I didn't mean to sound like uh, like Meghan Markle. Yeah, she is who we are going to be talking about. And oh boy, so all of that being said, I'm a monarchist. I'm going to start by saying that. So I really wanted. I was really excited when Meghan Markle <coughs> married into the royal family. I thought it was great. Uh, a large part of the Commonwealth are black, so I thought having you know, a, uh, a a black woman join the monarchy would be fantastic. I thought it was amazing, but it's kind of all gone wrong. Well, you know, it was it would have like you just said it was wonderful to have the differentiation of cultures involved in the monarchy, but you still can't take that away from a personality. You are still who you are, and if you look at her track history, and this as an American, I'm saying this. You know, I'm not just one sided completely. I like to look at the reality of all the situations. Um, but as an American looking at her, watching her, the way she bounces between relationships, the way she treats the people, including her subordinates, the way she treats for Harry, for example, you get a damn near first uh, person look at that. It doesn't coincide with that of someone you imagine ruling or being part of the monarchy, whether or not it's a level of kindness that's missing or a level of discretion that's missing. She it's seems- a level of duty that's duty. missing. And okay. I think I think what catches me is. So Meghan Markle has really gone out of her way to try and style herself after Princess Diana. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm a media strategist. I work on films. I work with people. I make people famous. It's like half my job. My other half is getting people out of trouble when they've been caught with hookers. But if I was if I was Meghan Markle's uh, publicist, I would have told her modeling herself after Diana is the worst thing you could have done. You cannot compete with the dead. No one's going to be Elvis. No one's going to be James Dean. No one's going to be Marilyn Monroe. And no one's going to be Lady Diana. When someone dies, they're they're almost sainted to a degree. Yeah. And you cannot live up to that. What would have been really smart, because she was coming from not really kind of the heart of Hollywood. She was kind of on the periphery of Hollywood, but, but still part of the entertainment industry, would have been if she'd have modeled herself um, after Grace Kelly if she would have gotten like that three uh, strand tiara of Grace Kelly's, if she'd have really modeled herself after Grace Kelly, I think she would have been far more beloved than trying to lean into the Diana narrative. I think that was a huge mistake for her. I think especially considering that more often than not, I think Diane uh, Diana's getting compared to uh, William's wife, right? Catherine, the Duchess of Cambridge. Right. 
And so she's already picking up, she's already barking at the wrong tree right there. Kind of. It doesn't matter who you compare to Lady Diana, they're going to lose. Again, when somebody has passed, you don't look at their flaws, you look at what they've left behind. And the constant comparisons to Lady Diana also means that Lady Diana is constantly re-examined. Yeah. Which means they're going to start looking at her flaws more and more. And I think, let the poor woman rest, like, enough. But, yeah, for Meghan Markle, if she was smart, she'd have modelled herself after Grace Kelly, and she truly would have been beloved. Uh, that being said... I think she had too much of an ego to try and model herself off of anyone. Well, she definitely is trying to model herself off of Diana. She's constantly asking for the comparisons. And you can hear the press team try and push it. Mm-hmm. But when you're so heavy-handed pushing, like if I was her, I'd fire my press my press team. Whoever had me riding on bananas and doing stuff like that, riding I'd kill them. Riding on bananas? Yeah, she went to a luncheon for sex workers. Yeah. Where they were giving out um, supplies and food and different things, and she was writing inspirational messages on bananas. The problem is when you write on bananas with a Sharpie, you can't eat the banana afterwards. That's kind of toxic. Um, and the inspirational messages are great, but someone should have handed her note cards. I, again, but we're, we're jumping we're jumping ship. The, the moral here is... I know, is, I'm kind of fixated on this whole marker banana thing. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Uh, the, the, the moral here is, if you're going to model yourself after someone, never make it somebody who died tragically. Because when there's a level of mourning attached, you cannot win. Like, Meghan Markle is never going to be Lady Diana unless she dies tragically, which none of us want to see. Personally, I'd like her more involved with the monarchy. Again, I think she could be a benefit. But the reality is, by leaning on the Diana narrative, she's always going to fall short. Where if she leaned towards Grace Kelly, I think she would excel because that is someone who Grace Kelly had a checkered past. I'm not, for, for, for all the Princess Grace friends out there, don't kill me. But, you know, she. She was kind of promiscuous. She was kind of wild. She was mm-hmm. she was a bit of a wild child in yeah. Hollywood, and then she went married went and married the uh, Prince of Monaco. And I think what it comes down to, yes, is had she pulled a similarity from somebody that was not so controversial, not so larger than life, and that didn't have such a tragic death, had she pulled from Princess Grace, she would have been much more beloved. She also needs to kill her publicist over like the avocado toast. You know, when um, the Duchess, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, which is uh, Catherine and William, when he got her an avocado, it was the height of everyone's into the avocado craze. Yeah. But when the Duchess of Cam- uh, the Duchess of Sussex was serving avocado to her friend, it came out in the newspaper right after there was a whole push in the papers about avocados being the cause of some civil wars, about drug cartels being involved, and it destroying timing. bad timing, and okay. it destroying the rainforest. So she's gotten a lot of reflected bad press as well. And her publicists should have been on that. You they should have been been kind of watching that. And, and so should she. Uh, she came from Hollywood. I know she wasn't kind of a behind-the-scenes gal like I am. But she was more in front of the camera like you. Yeah. But it's still something she should she – sh- if she wasn't aware of, someone should have been aware of. So I think that there were a lot of missed opportunities and I don't think she realized that once the uh, American princess marrying the handsome English prince stopped, stopped selling papers, mm-hmm. they were always going to print bad stories about her. But it comes in waves. They went after the Duchess of Cambridge and said, you know, that she fucked. I'd like to remind everyone, every time we use bad language, we give money to the Boys and Girls Club of America, the Humane Society of America, and free MMA. We swear because we care. Dick. Yep. <laughs> she, she, they said she, she fucked like all of William's friends. There were these horrific, I mean, truly horrific stories about her. Now, that being said, on top of bad stories, she has had to face some racism. No. Okay. That, that was actually not where I, that was not the last word I thought was going to come out of your mouth. So I was not going to take it in a, in a direction of race, but I was curious if you don't mind humoring this mm-hmm. being in the world of publicity and you're coming down pretty hard on her publicist actually. Yeah. Um, she made that choice with, to go with Spotify, her and Harry did. And from our knowledge, she held back on that deal, at least on her end, for a few years now. Oh, and my it's just God. Now come yeah, out yeah, with, yeah. And it's just now come out with the first episode. And that first episode was absolute trash for a podcast. But Why do you think? It hit number you, one. It may have hit, it hit number one because everyone wanted to see it fail. Yeah. Did, do you think that was the publicist's decision to wait so long or is that on her? I think it's a combination. So, yes, obviously, she has some control. 
but if she has yes men and doesn't have good advisors or now that being said i may owe a true apology to her publicist she may not listen to them mm. i don't know here's the disclaimer i do not work with the monarchy at all i work with um films politicians and actors but so, so I may owe everyone an apology. She may have an amazing publicist that she ignored. I'm, I'm giving her the benefit of doubt and saying she didn't. As far Someone's as it goes, someone got to go under the bus. We're yeah. just not picking Megan immediately. Yeah, I, I'm just not picking the Duchess of Sussex again. I have to be honest. I'm a monarchist, so I want to see her succeed. Okay. Um, I think when it comes down to it, the the problem with the podcast that everyone said was that she has this amazing woman that she could have interviewed and talked more about. But it was mostly about Megan. Talked about herself for an hour. That's that's it was. that's what I heard. And then she came out with this revelation about the heater and this fire. And of course, now what's coming out is it didn't quite happen that way. Mm-hmm. So I understand blowing things up for spin. Like I'm not going to knock that. It's something I would do. I, I wouldn't do it the way this was done. This was done badly. And again, it goes to: Did the publicist tell you to blow it up this way, or did you? God, can you imagine there's a, another you in a different universe who absolutely loves Megan, loves everything she's done because you're anti-monarchist and it's destroying the people's view of the monarchy? If I was anti-monarchist, my, my grandmother would beat me. <laughs> my grandmother would beat me. <laughs> my, I'm more afraid of my grandmother than I am the queen. That's and fair. that's saying something. Your grandmother's very uh, much like the queen after meeting her. <laughs> she's My grandmother is the queen of my family and she go. terrifies me. But we are I, I come from a family of monarchists. Mm-hmm. So... It's very difficult for me to look at this situation and go, well, you know, it's her fault. I'd rather look at it, I guess, a little bit and go, hopefully it's bad publicists. As far as the interview, she's not an experienced interviewer. Mm. She's used to being interviewed. So that could be where the mistake came from. But all of that being said, it did hit number one. Um, You know, the book came out about her that was very, very negative very, uh, very recently. She also is now being, you know, kind of called a liar for for some of the things she – the lying. the fire the fire um, it's being called for things she's, she's I'm I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the palace what the palace truth. said and go, say recollections may vary recollections but may vary. if that is what her publicist told her to spin he should be killed yeah if she did it herself and I was her publicist I would be pissed well no we're not gonna know until a publicist gets fired and comes out with his own book that's that's very <laughs> very true that's a very true. Um, Seems to be the thing to do now. Whenever you get you quit a job or lose a job with a highly, uh, highly renowned person, a highly well-known person, or even in this case, uh, rather infamous and notorious personality, uh, you write a book about them. See, I don't like the idea of people in the monarchy being called notorious. Well, I'll tell you. Okay, that's reasonable. I was not. That's, that's very fair. But by the way, if you ever break up with me, I'm coming out with a book. You are welcome to. You have way more followers than me, and I have way more dirt on you than you do on me. <laughs> I'm just saying. Guys, today we have a very, very special guest, Andrew Smith. He works with the UFC HQ. He started in strip clubs. He's worked with a whole bunch of people. We are going to be talking a whole bunch about him and to him when we come back. We'll be right back after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America.
are listening to Behind the Scenes with host Summer Helene. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to bts at summerhelene.com. Now let's go back Behind the Scenes. G'day, g'day, guys. Welcome back to Behind the Scenes. I'm your host, Summer Helene. We are on with my co-host, who I usually call the baddest bear in the cage, but let's face it, he broke his arm, so he's kind of on hiatus right now. Actually, Jeff broke your arm. Yeah, my training partner kicked my radial head and fractured it. Well, that just says He's a great guy. Follow him at (laughs) Jazzy Jefferson Creighton, spelled exactly how you think it is. (laughs) I like that. Follow the guy that kicked a bear. We have a very special guest on today. I'm very, very excited. Born and raised in Las Vegas. He's got a crazy past. Andrew Smith is working with UFC HQ, primarily on Dana White's bourbon called Howlerhead. He's a writer, a father, and a fighter. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Now, you have had a heck of a life. You work, you do kind of what I do. You just do it in a different capacity and and with less prostitutes. (laughs) Yeah, I think I had like an anti-coming of age, to be honest. Now, Um, what do you you mean by anti-coming of age? So generally, when people have a career trajectory, it's, you know, you you, you go to school, you figure out what you want to do. Yeah, you meet the girl, you, you you get the career, you have the upward trajectory, right? And I did that start, but I was waylaid about halfway through by accepting a job at a Vegas strip club, which I thought was an awesome idea at 30. And it was uh, it was one of those downward spirals, which you know I always thought of myself as like a like a heroic main character, and then mm-hmm, you know okay. that sort of anti coming of age where the strip club just sort of eats and eats and eats and eats. And then, uh, and then it changes yeah, your goals, your morals. And then, uh, and somewhere in there, I, I clawed my way out, and I'm, now I'm at the UFC. Well, okay, that's fair. And while I do want to get into the positives here, I am a little bit curious as to what was your experience like working at a strip club during that time? I, I mean, ask away. Uh, I, I'm more than happy to talk about the negatives. I think working at a Vegas strip club changes you you learn so much about the smoke and mirrors of what the industry is like and and truly the guts of what people want i think it's easy to see you know how how caveman and base level people can get in that sort of different world they get transported into and in vegas it's even more different right because you know you think that the rules that apply you know are the famous saying what happens in vegas right stays in vegas but does it uh you know that's People think so, but I've seen plenty of plenty of upstanding white collar gentlemen uh, find their way to to a Vegas jail in in that place. Yeah, I was just say with a world of camera phones and high definition, uh, easy to pocket video video cameras. I don't think it's very easy to keep it in Vegas anymore. That's a, but, that um, was a big challenge for us. Was was really, really making sure that phones never came out. That was a big big thing for us for a long time when I worked there. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, hold on. So you guys were actively keeping people from videotaping what was going on. What was going on in there? Well, I mean, it's proprietary, right? Like, if you, if we had a celebrity, if we had a boss, if we had a CEO in there, and someone's, you know, got their cell phone out by their pocket, or, you know, the girls in general, uh, you know, there's, there's non-disclosures and things like that, that, they, you know, they don't, some of them have other lives than being the stripper, you know. Maybe it was a teacher, you never know. Okay, that that's a very fair point. Actually, I had I had considered that. So, what would you say is probably your craziest story from your time there? Obviously, you can X out names and whatnot. My craziest story, sure. I, I I've got a doozy for you. All right, um, early on, early on in my career, uh, I was I was not only a marketing executive director, but I worked the door, I handled the website, I did the calls, all that stuff. So I get called in once to help with the VIP room. VIP room in general uh, is a, you know, walk-in, pay-to-play, behind-the-curtain, more quote-unquote fun to be had. Uh, And and so I was working there. And there was a a group of German guys that had just come in, and it's early, day shift. And the day shift girls are different than the night shift girls. Uh, Day shift girls were a little bit... uh, a little bit uh, more thankful that the lights were dim, if uh, a nice way to put it. 
bullet um, wounds and C-section scars. Oh goodness! <laughs> yeah, you got it. You got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the German guys sit down. It's nighttime for them. They had just got off the plane. They wanted to see some strippers. Sure thing. They're the only guys in the building. First girl gets up. I'll use the stage name because uh, it doesn't really it doesn't really affect who it is. But stage name was Squeak Toy, so that can really give you a good a good sense of uh, the the love and care put into the name. So she's dancing on stage. She's doing her thing, Squeak Toy. Uh, comes down off stage, goes to the group of German guys. They had ordered a bottle of Jägermeister, a big one, the leader. And a leader Jägermeister is not easy to come by. So these four German gentlemen are, are having their, their first round of shots. She comes over. And they're sort of whispering to themselves and whispering to her and sort of looking back at the VIP room. And I'm like, oh, what's going on here? So sure enough. The girl comes over, says uh, to the security host, like, uh, hey, they're all going to do a half an hour in the VIP room for $1,000 each. And, uh, we're all like, what? No, what's going on here? This is, this is bad news. So, true to their form, uh, the, the, she goes back, tells them everything's okay, picks up the bottle of Jägermeister, and pounds it. The entire bottle of Jägermeister. So, uh, true to her word and true to theirs, they start going back upstairs. No problem. First dance is uh, underway. Half an hour later, they both come out. Everything's fine. Second guy goes in with her, and she's starting to stagger now. Oh, no. They go into the room, and about five minutes afterwards, the guy comes out to the security, uh, the security head of security and goes, I think something's wrong with her. And he goes, well, no, no shit, but we had to go in and check. <laughs> and we walked into a scene that can only be described as a once-in-a-lifetime view of a human being. Because she's laying there sprawled out, butt-ass naked, on the sofa area. She has puked on the floor. She has shit herself. And then she checked it to see if she shit herself. So she, her face was just covered in her own excrement. And we, of course, we call the ambulance right away, 911. They come in, they grab her, they leave. Okay? It's disgusting. It's disturbing. About a day later, everyone's starting to wonder where she is. Right? She didn't come back for her clothes. She didn't come back for her car. She didn't come back for her money, her purse. Nothing. If something terrible would have happened, the police would have showed up, right? Police never showed yeah, you up. You think so? E either she didn't know where she was, she got so fucked up she did not know where she was, or, or she was too embarrassed to come back. And uh, after this call, at some point, I will send you the photo because I have the photo of what I walked into. Oh my god. Oh my god, I gotta see that. That's that is horrifying. So she oh, did she ever great. come back for the car? Never, not once. She ditched she just up and started a new life after that. Just that was it. That that was rock bottom right there. Start a new life. And uh and I agree with you. I think she just was like, Yeah, that's enough of that. She's an Ivy League graduate now, you do. <laughs> She's out. She's oh, done. Yeah, right. <laughs> She's turned, out. She's done. Turned her whole life around, man. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the more, like, that's just crazy because you don't expect, like, people to be that way. I've seen so many fights. I've met so many celebrities that, that didn't, you know, you know, coming in the back door, don't want anyone to know who they are. Yep. And they're just right. sitting amongst the people. You know, tons of that. Uh, you know, it's. You know, the staff was insane. We all were. Uh, stories, I, I could fill up your whole hour. Wait, do we ever know what happened to the German fellows? Did they finish out their time, or did they all just decide, nope, that's enough of us, that's enough of this for today? So, the, first of all, the bottle was gone, obviously. It was in her stomach. Well, not for long. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, the German guys chilled uh, for about... 20 more minutes and I think they didn't want to get wrapped up in something with liability involved so I think they just dipped out but yeah that that's, that's if I had to watch uh, that guy's traumatized he has PTSD now if I had to watch a stripper vomit herself shit herself get it on her face and then have to go out and tell someone about this to save her life I I might be done too well I'm gonna give you PTSD too because you're gonna see the photo and I, we're all as I, 
Yes. <laughs> what I what I find so remarkable about it, thank God I thank God she survived, because something like that could absolutely kill someone. Yeah, especially because these aren't going to be big girls. Like you got to be pretty trim to to be doing that for a living. I'm oh yeah, saying. no, and 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 I there's you know it's shame on the club too, right, for letting her do something like that. Mm-hmm. So. It's a whole mess. Did you now? We've got about three minutes till break. Sure. What was what was the moment for you that you were like, I'm done here? So after nearly ten years there, right? Uh, you know, I, I had saved up enough money to be comfortable. The club was changing. Uh, ownership was getting very volatile. Um, you know, you hear the term now, quiet quitting. But, like, I think a lot of us were there anyway. Like, a lot of us had checked out. And, you know, the the daily drama, the spirals of ups and downs, it was just too much for a human. And thankfully, I just gave myself that hard look in the mirror, and I was just like, you got to get out of here. Because this place will kill you eventually. And so, you know, I, uh, I'd have, you know, I got a, I got a little boy to raise and decided that I was going to go on to something a little more, uh, a little more uh, corporate, a little more concrete jungle, if you will. I got to say now in, in defense of strip clubs, I've had girlfriends of mine, um, who went, who got through university stripping who are now like one is a psychiatrist over at ucla i have another one uh that's a corporate lawyer that got through that way and i find it so interesting because all the stories i hear this is going to sound terrible are always from vegas strip clubs like all the horror stories i hear are from (laughs) vegas strip clubs so i'm wondering if this is a vegas thing it's vegas baby it's it's Vegas, baby. That's that, well, that's. I think the girls me. have that notion too, right? Like the girls think, oh, I'm just gonna go to Vegas and do it. That way, I can go back to my normal life wherever I'm from and at. And, you know, you can reset. You know, once you leave. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm just thinking of all my girlfriends that did it to get like graduate degrees. They obviously never tell anyone, so I'm not gonna use names. They kill me. <laughs> right. Um, but they, but they all did it like to get through their doctorates or to get through graduate degrees. And I hear all these stories from them and I don't hear any, like there was never a story for them of somebody pounded Jägermeister and pooped themselves and had to go to the hospital. <laughs> I've never heard that. So I'm thinking that might be a Vegas thing. Like, Guys, they just, <laughs> they just didn't try hard enough. We are going to be chatting more when we come back from break. I'm Summer Helene. This is Behind the Scenes. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. TRN. 
You are listening to Behind the Scenes with host Summer Helene. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to bts at summerhelene.com. Now let's go back Behind the Scenes. G'day, g'day, guys. Welcome back to Behind the Scenes. I'm your host, Summer Helene. We are on with my co-host, the baddest bear that's usually in the cage, but right now he's grounded because he broke his arm, Bear Fjorda, and our very, very special guest, Andrew Smith. We are talking about all things Hollywood. Specifically today, we are talking about strip clubs, the UFC, and what it's like to move in that world. So, Andrew, one of the things I'm going to ask you is you've had, you know, we were were just talking during the break, and we were saying it's a... Vegas's moniker that brings that to the strip clubs where it really doesn't bring that anywhere else. How do you think that moniker has affected Vegas? You know, I think the moniker, you know, we all say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? You can come here. The laws aren't the laws. It couldn't be further from the truth, to be honest with you. And you see it in all walks. But, like, look at a movie like The Hangover, right, where it sort of just tells you, you know, you can just steal a cop car and valet it at Caesars. But... In reality, you know, you would be arrested so fast. And I think people do the same thing at strip clubs. Like, hey, I'm I'm from New York City. I'm a CEO. I'm going to go to a strip club and do whatever I want to do. I have enough money. Uh, they'll turn a blind eye. The city will turn a blind eye. Uh, you know, we've seen it countless times. Um, and sometimes the club let, allows it, too, right? Like, the strip clubs aren't exactly the, the pinnacle of of morality and the shining light in the industry, you know, in, in all industries. So I will say, I think that is something to do with wealth. Something you hear from very, very wealthy people is to a normal person, you know, you look at a sign and say, I can't park here or I'm going to get fined. And somebody that's very, very wealthy and doesn't mind, they look at it and go, no, it's just going to cost me 60 bucks to park here where tickets yeah, oh, and fines are, are just the cost of it. So I think that goes with many, many things. When you have that level of money, and that's the amount of money that's running through Vegas, it really just becomes a matter of can you pay for it? Yeah, and, and you know, when you're implanting, what, 40,000 people a weekend, uh, you know, you're bound to get plenty of bad apples. So it's, it's just, it's an odds thing. And, you know, Vegas doesn't shy away from it. You know, they went through that, that sort of phase to be a family-friendly Vegas, and then, you know, tourist tourist uh, tourist attendance went down because people want to come here and live in the, the last like bastion of the Wild West that we have. I I, I think it's the uh, I I think it's just people want that. They they want the, the sin, the humanistic, the, yeah, they, like the, the yeah, what is it? The glut, I'm not a religious guy, at all, but the gluttonous, the sinful. They they literally like Sodom and Gomorrah. They want that experience of this is just really crazy wild. This I can forget about this tomorrow, go back home, and it never happened. This is like my day without rules, my getaway free and, free car. And that is how so many guys come back from Vegas with syphilis. I'm just saying. Yeah. Just saying. And <laughs> suddenly missing their uh, their wedding ring. Mm-hmm. Suddenly missing their way. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Now, coming from Vegas, I should I shouldn't say coming from Vegas, as I'm sure the UFC does have you go out there every now and again. But how did you get from you know, strip club guy to into the head of the UFC area? So uh, I have a dear friend, um, and I'm going to shout him out. His name is Joe Stevenson, and he, uh, you know, former winner of the Ultimate Fighter, one of the one of the baddest dudes in the world for a long time. And, oh, yeah. uh, uh, he's, he, he's a friend of the show. He's been on the show over at Cobra Kai and Victorville. Make sure you guys go over there. hundred uh, percent. And, and, a, and an A plus human being. Um, and I was talking to him, uh, turn of the year, right after the pandemic. And, uh, and I was really looking to work at a place that I loved. And he had mentioned that this opportunity came up to work on Dana's bourbon, uh, his Howler had bourbon. And, uh, you know, working at USC HQ, working with uh, their social media team, working as uh, the head of digital media for the bourbon. And so I just uh, I just jumped on it. The interview process was about five weeks of interview after interview after interview. And I think that having someone in marketing who has been in marketing for almost 20 years now and someone that is uh, a tournament jiu-jitsu fighter who has been in, you know, 20, 
20 tournament level fights, always amateur. I was never a professional fighter, but there's not a lot of marketing people that also know how to fight and know the UFC world like that and can identify with the fighters on a, on a visceral level and the fans on a really visceral level. So I, I think I just merged two industries that is pretty uncommon. And I think that's what you need in, in a place like the UFC. You need to be unique. You need to make a splash. You need to, to, to be able to rise above in a different way that everyone else is looking at. What's the one thing you've worked, you've learned working with their uh, media division? Uh, I mean, there's lots of, honestly, the one thing I've learned most is that the UFC is a media company. Uh, it is a, they, they produce all of their own items. They are a, just as much a network as any other major network I've worked with in my life. Um, and it is a well-oiled, uh, well-oiled machine. Uh, there is, everyone there loves working there. Everyone there knows their role really well. It is extremely exemplary with the level of skill uh, that it takes to work there. And mostly, you know, young. You're talking late 20s, early 30s is the major demographic of the most of the workforce that I've seen. Um, and I think, you know, there's a level of pride working there too. So they get some of the cream of the crop just for that. And what about working for Howlerhead, promoting the bourbon? How's that for you? So it's, you know, it's interesting because it's one of the fastest growing bourbons in the world, right? It's that, it's that natural banana flavor that most people don't have. It merges really well with other liquors like Screwball, you know, that, that uh, peanut butter and, and banana sort of flavor goes really well. The strawberry, uh, strawberry, um, strawberry mixers do extremely well with the banana. So it's, it's fastest growing. It, you know, it's outsold uh, Jack Daniels in New York uh, and in the UK uh, week over week here. So it's, it's coming up super fast. And they just announced a partnership with a, with a global brand called Campari, where they bought into Hallerhead for a 15% share for $15 million. So, I mean, whatever Dana touches turns to gold anyway, and this is no different. What I find interesting, now, see, now I'm going to have to try it. I have not tried this. Now I'm going to have to try Hallerhead. Yeah. I'm going to have to try it. I will make sure. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. The, uh, the, the thing that I find interesting about that, though, is Howlerhead, that means, has a stock of built-in spokesmen. If he's, you know, brings us towards UFC, he can just, you know, kind of stick a bottle in the uh, well-known fighter's hands. No, oh, he does it all the time. If you watched mm-hmm. uh, UFC London, you know, when Patty and Molly McCann won, mm-hmm. they, were, they, they were walking around the arena drinking out of the bottle with it on broadcast. I mean, you can't buy that level of exposure with... Nope. You know, the hundreds of millions of people that are UFC fans, uh, it's a no-brainer. I mean, and, you know, the cliche of the celebrity that owns the alcohol brand is there, right? But some people do it right. It Ryan Reynolds does yes. it right. The Rock does it right. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are behind the scenes, and that's fine. But Dana's just, you know, doing, doing just as amazing. Now, he's done brilliantly with, with the UFC. He brought it up when nobody thought it could be brought up because there was so much antagonism towards it. And he's brought this in. Now he's got this bourbon brand. He's brought up some of the biggest fighters in the world um, and created this this global brand. For you, was it intimidating stepping into that arena? Um, no, I, th- I, don't think, I don't think I get intimidated by much anymore. Once you've worked in a strip club, <laughs> what could someone really Let's throw at you? That's gonna and die and they almost die. Yeah, I think. I'll well, not only that, uh, but you know, there's a negotiation process with you know people that are built to be promoters and negotiators. Coming, where do you want to sit? What do you want to drink? You know, what girl do you want? I, you know, when you're fixing the base level problems for people, they want to work with you. And I think people with that promoter mind and that advertising mind and that marketing mind can talk to anyone and handle almost any situation. I can see that. Yeah. Because it it's, it's a very, very transferable skill. Now, one of the questions I know we've got all over Twitter and we always get when we have anyone from the UFC or anyone that, that's even breathed near that market on is what can someone do to get the UFC's attention? If they wanted to be a fighter, if they wanted to be a ring girl, if they wanted to do these things, what can they do to get their attention? Well, I can speak from my little, you know, my little corner of this giant empire, right? So even if, for instance, we look for a spokesperson, right? 
Uh, we're looking for someone to rep the brand. We're looking for someone to do shout outs, work on social media with us, provide assets, whatever it is. It's got to be somebody loud. It's got to be somebody that is unique. You know, you can't, gone are the days of the fighter that doesn't say anything, goes in the ring, wins or loses a bunch of times, is pretty silent about it and goes back to his business. I think you look at, look at some of these people like, I'll take Sean O'Malley, for instance, right? Uh, the guy is visible anywhere he goes. He is absolutely a unique brand and look. And it's someone that, that everyone is targeting for stuff like that. Patty Pimblett's another one that's yeah. such on the rise. He's, yeah. That he's known for eating food. I mean, come on. If a guy can get famous for eating food and then cutting weight like a monster uh, just to make weight and then go back to being comfortably happy eating what he wants, that's a really easy thing to turn into an absolute brand. And he did it, you know. Uh, I just think you have to be able to take the things that are carnal, which is what UFC fans are, right? You know, we're, it's, you know, if you're, if you're an athlete or a fan of an athlete and you see them in the octagon and they pop immediately and that's what you need. You can't just be a one dimensional fight only person anymore. I don't think, I mean, unless you're an absolute monster, there are, you know, there are exceptions, but. I think for the most part, something I always tell people is never try and be the bad guy. That image was taken by Conor McGregor and he took all the air out of the room. Be different, stand out, <laughs> but be unique. Well, you got Nate Diaz coming soon. He's made a living off being the bad guy too, right? So, but people like that irreverent, you know, don't give a damn about anything sort of, sort of bad guys. Because a lot of people, I think, especially post-pandemic, can feel that like, you know, screw the establishment sort of order. You can be the anti-hero now. Where, you know, Connor was, you know, he was flashy. And, you know, even though he hasn't won a fight in seven years, he uh, still can draw the entire room. So, yeah. you know, there's a different kind of thing about being egotistical. Because people, that will shut off most people. But if you're egotistical with, you know, with the punch to back it up, eh, that can work. I think it's the... Uh... I think it's the uniqueness of of brand. I mean, uh, if you look at Conor McGregor, love him or hate him, he's made more money in this than anyone else because he oh simply God. knew how to work with the crowds. Um, sure, and you know he's great for a soundbite. Uh, he's mm -hmm. got the look. You know, he's got an entire country that backs him. That's helpful. Yeah, a little bit. And you're seeing that with Paddy now, though, coming up. You're seeing the same thing with him. You're seeing that magic that Conor McGregor had. It's a unique look. It's a unique way of being. And it's that draw. And the Yeah, and the, the British fighters are coming up. And the backing. I mean, Leon Edwards yeah. just had an incredible knockout. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think Paddy is going to be the next Conor. I'm just saying. I do. I think just 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 from the branding standpoint, I think he's going yeah, to be able to Yeah, could be Paddy. Could be Sean. He's. You know, he's he's a standout. Everybody loves everybody loves the look and the attitude and the swagger. But uh, but yeah, I mean, Dana has such a way of finding him. Who do you think is going to be the next big thing? I mean, you can't go wrong with Patty, right? You know, the guy's so lovable, and he, you know that that accent is out of this world, right? It, and Americans are just sort of sort of enamored by barely understanding him, but totally, but knowing totally what he means. And that's, that's amazing. Uh, I love that you know, he went Sean, with the page boy haircut. <laughs> the yeah, page oh, boy yeah. haircut. Yeah, it's like the, the bowl cut with like the business mm -hmm. in the back, the party in the back or whatever it's yeah. called. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we, we worked with him. Uh, Haller had worked with him doing a little food tour when he was in San Diego for UFC Fight Night. And, uh, and he just did a thing where he was picking onions off everything because he hated onions. And it's become a thing. Like Patty hates onions hashtag. Like he's picking onions off street tacos. He's pick he eats an onion ring, but he only eats the breading. Like it's it's great. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful, man. What's the weirdest moment you've had working with the UFC? Um I think the weirdest moment. There hasn't been a lot of weird. Everyone is so you know, so uh so part of what's going on. Um, I think the weird moment is probably the employee dining room where like, you know, it's, it's restaurant style. It's really nice, but it's like, you're sitting there and you look to your left and there's a fighter. You look to your right and there's a manager. Dana walks through and says hi to everybody. It's, you know, it's, it's sort of surreal when you've just been a fan and then you walk in and you're part of the world 
and you're and you're promoting one of Dana's brands and everyone is just rooting for your success. There's not a lot of industries. I'm sure Hollywood is the same. Travel is the same where they kind of want you to win, but they'll step on you to get their successes. This, this company is not like that. It's, I'm glad you mentioned that, that, uh, that surreal sense, having been a competitor yourself, I'm sure you know this feeling too. When you walk into a, a gym or you walk into a training facility and you're, you pay for it or whatever, but you go there because you think there may be you know, a fighter you like or something to that, that extent, you walk in there, it's the only industry where you are training with the people you idolize, you know, hand to hand, face to face, body to body. You can't, for the most part, if you're a high school basketball athlete, you're aspiring to be in the NBA, you can't just walk into anywhere and expect to train with people like uh, Kobe Bryant or LeBron James. It just, that never happens. But you come to our world, come to the martial arts world, especially the competitive cage fighting world, you can walk into the MMA lab and, you know, train with John O'Malley, at least relatively speaking, of course, depending on where you are. But it's the one place where you can really just meet all the people you've ever thought of as you can aspire to or be next to or be themselves in one place. And no one thinks much about it. It's There's, true. You have managed to get the crap kicked out of you by quite a few UFC fighters. And that's that's the gore of it. And uh, what is it? Especially one Joe Stevenson, for that matter. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I, 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 I invoked the image of Joe when you said that because we had an MMA gym at the strip club I worked at in the back. We had a cage. We had mats. We had everything. And one day we're just sitting back there training. Uh, you know, some of the staff, a couple of friends would come back there and train and stuff too. One day in comes, you know, the winner of Ultimate Fighter season two to just roll around with us and teach us some stuff. And he threw an ankle lock on me and I, I couldn't walk for two weeks, but I had so much fun. And, uh, you know, it, you know, you can go to any gym in Vegas and see I've rolled with, you know, I've rolled with Johnny Hendricks. I've rolled with Frank Mir. I've rolled with all these guys and they're just around. And it's the only industry, well, I would say the only one that comes close to fan player engagement or even practitioner player engagement is baseball. You know, you see those guys throwing the ball into the crowd with the kids and playing catch with them and stuff like that. Or, you know, they catch a foul ball and they, they say hi to somebody. There's more interaction there. But, but MMA in general is the only one where you don't know what's going to happen in that cage. You don't know what's going to happen in the octagon. You don't know what's going to happen on the mat. So you want to learn from as many people as you can because a rising tide raises all ships, right? So it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's a great industry, and, and everyone is dangerous, so everyone's cool to each other. No, that's actually something really awesome about the sport itself is the fact that no one's ever – at least unless you're an absolute idiot, you don't walk in there thinking, I'm going to beat up this, this ultimate fighter and come in there hard with a big attitude and a big ego, or you learn very fast not to have it. Oh, yeah, and you see those guys get checked all the time when they come in like that. Um, you, you remember uh, Rampage Jackson, you know, w was famous for putting those Ultimate Fighter guys in check just because he knew what was coming, and he was a bad dude. But, you know, you gotta you got to understand that everyone is one punch away or one head kick away from being very, very humbled. We just saw that with Usman, right? You're one yeah. head kick at the end of the fight away, and your lights are out, and you're no longer the champion, and now you're humbled. You know, and, you know, he'll get his chance to come back. I'm sure that fight will probably be in England. That will be amazing um, be, when that rematch happens. Absolutely. And now, as we get towards the end of the show, I was curious as well about your own martial arts background. What got you into the world of jujitsu itself? <laughs> so they had a policy at the club I worked at where if you wanted to work the door or work inside, you had to know how to fight. And I was a stick figure nerd going in there, the marketing nerd, right? The guy behind the computer trying to bring people in. So I went back there and sure enough, I had this legendary coach. His name was Brent Jordan. Uh, he, uh, worked, he, he rolled at JSECT. I mean, this is old jujitsu, right? And, uh, he comes back there and he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, well, you got to train me to fight for at least a week. So I went back there every day for a week. We learned jujitsu, kickboxing, uh, Kempo, uh, traditional boxing for a week. And he's like, on Friday, you're done. Okay. You can go work the door. I'll see you later. Have a nice life. And literally that cold and that callous, like have a nice life. Goodbye. I've taught you everything you need to know. And I just kept coming back. I never stopped going to that gym. And, uh, I loved every minute of learning how to fight. 
then I got into uh, the Cobra Kai, uh, Las Vegas Cobra Kai, with Simcoe uh, was our instructor. That's a Mark Lehman school. Uh, started rolling around there. Uh, started doing tournaments, uh, competitive jiu-jitsu, and it just, I've held it my whole life ever since then. Damn. And what a good surprise for the coach, too. Probably expecting you just to go there for the sake of the job and never do it again. Something you're forced to do. And I, whether he said it or not, I'm sure there was a part of him that was excited to see you come back. Because true dedication always means a lot to any coach. Well, it, oh, yeah. He's excited. one of my best friends for life now, too. See, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So you got excited. You get excited about martial arts. You decide to keep coming back. You go from working at a strip club to working at the UFC. You have a screenplay you've written about uh, that I'm not going to tell anyone here about because I'm trying to send it to a friend to get it sold, so I'm not telling any of y'all. On top of all that, how could I forget an author as well on top of literally everything else, man? So you're you're kind of a renaissance man here, a little bit of a violent one, but a renaissance man nonetheless. (laughs) Um, You've had such an extraordinary life. You, we have about four minutes left of the show. Where can everyone find you if they want to follow you? Um, uh, the social medias, I, I, I focus mostly on uh, on Instagram, uh, Andrew underscore the underscore Smith. Uh, Instagram, I, you know, I'm posting stories about stuff that we're shooting at UFC all the time. I'm posting uh, a little bit about uh, my home life, a little bit about the novels uh, from me and, and one of my dearest friends, Brent Jordan, are, are, uh, are partnering with. Uh, he's an author as well, and if you remember the name, uh, Celine, he is uh, the, what, the co-writer of the script. He is uh, a novelist himself. Uh, he has a book called The Viking on Stamford Bridge that you can go purchase. That is absolutely phenomenal work. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, my, my life has been wild and one uh, crazy instance with another, but I tell people now that I've found the industry I want to be in. Uh, I, I write for, for passion. I work for the UFC. I wouldn't take another job in the world. I don't think I, if the Yankees came up to me and, and said, hey, let's work in baseball, I'd say no. If uh, the Golden Knights or the Raiders came up and said, hey, come work with us, uh, there's not enough money that you could pay me at this point. So uh, I, I finally settled into my dream, and you know, it's, it's a testament to persevering, and, uh, and I, you know, I challenge everyone to do the same. Well, you know, with that said, then, what would you say, maybe as our closer here, would be your ultimate goal with where you are? Um, I'd like to tell my story, and I think that's what a lot of, of my novels, are, you know, every time you write, you put a piece of yourself in there. Um, I, I'm working on a project, a robust project now, where I, instead of putting a piece of myself in it, I'm just going to tell the whole story. And, uh, and if someday I get to see that uh, uh, on a screen or on a video or on a, on a reel, I think that would, be, that would be the ultimate, like, thank you to the destiny I've been handed. I think that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Oh, thanks for having Make me. Make sure, guys, you are following him. I'm Summer Helene. Thank you, of course, to my co-host, Bear Fjorda. Follow him at Bear Fjorda. And don't forget to follow the show at TuneInBTS across all social media, especially Instagram and Facebook. This was Behind the Scenes. We'll see you next week. Good night. Thanks for checking out the show. Behind the Scenes can be heard live on the Voice America Variety Channel every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. Be sure to join Summer Helene for more Scoop next week.